Hello, everyone out there. Welcome to the Real Life Work Podcast once again. This is Kevin McManus. I am your podcast host today. Today's topic is going to be equipment reliability, asset health. What does it take to improve in those areas? And I'm going to keep it relatively basic. But I find it interesting because I have customers that work in process industries where the equipment is running all the time, or at least that's the goal. I have other customers that work in other businesses where they get to shut down for the evening, they get to stop for at least a shift, and do repairs, do preventive maintenance, do cleanup, things like that. And in both cases, they suffer from the same challenges. In most cases, the equipment fails too often And when it does fail, it fails for too long or for too great of a cost. And so we want to attack both of those areas and others. So I'm going to share with you the seven questions I get the most often on the topics of equipment reliability and improving asset health. So first of all, what does an effective equipment reliability improvement process do for an organization? Well, the first thing it does is it helps keep your operational costs down, but that's normally behind the scenes. More importantly, it helps ensure the company can keep giving products and services to its customers. You'll think of it from the customer's perspective. How often do you like it when you are delayed, when you don't get what you want, when you have a defect in the product or service that you were after because a piece of equipment failed? And right now, it almost seems like at times that's expected to be the norm, and that should not be the norm. So equipment reliability is a hot topic. Some approach it much more effectively than others. In some organizations, it's merely a pet project process, but we're going to talk about going after it the right way, all right? We're going to look at a good way to put in a formal equipment reliability system. So first thing we need to do is define what it means to us in our organization and what's the compelling why for pursuing improved levels of equipment reliability in our organization. So to most, it's just an equipment downtime reduction effort. And please don't see it that way. Think of each of your assets as being just that, an asset, something that provides value to you, provides function, keeps you going, helps you achieve your goals. And so you can look at each asset and determine how healthy is that asset. Don't just say, this is what I've got to work with. I got to make it work. If it breaks, fix it. No. What can we do to improve asset health? What can we do to anticipate asset challenges? So we do want to reduce downtime frequency. We want to reduce the duration and cost of that downtime when it does occur. That will give us gains in the meantime between failure. That does help reduce process costs and improve product and service quality. But to me, what I have found much more value in is the optimization of flow through the process. You know, how steady state can we get that? How much can we tighten up that variation and optimize that level of performance? What does it take to dial in a process and keep it there? So we should have a focus on process output optimization while the process or the equipment is online. But even then, those are all lagging indicators. Correct? Think of it that way. 
You know, you don't want to wait till you get sick to know you have a problem. We don't want to wait until we have a downtime event to know we have a problem. How can we look upstream? How can we look at more leading indicators of asset health and see what we can do there? So you can use indexes and trends to measure asset health across multiple areas. So for example, you might look at pressure, speed, and temperature. You can combine how well each of those indicators was performing, typically red, yellow, and green levels, based on process control analysis. But we get a feel for not only what percentage of our assets are healthy, what percentage of our assets are in the green zone versus the yellow zone versus the red zone, but how are our assets trending? And based on the behavior in, shown by those trend lines, can we begin to predict future failures and prevent them? Can we predict the need for preventive maintenance in an effective manner versus just randomly picking monthly over quarterly or quarterly over semi-annually? So we, if we have an effective reliability process, we want to be able to predict future failures. That helps us plan work in advance. It allows us to reduce costs of labor and overhead. And most importantly, it helps us more consistently meet the needs of our customers. So, once we've defined equipment reliability, once we've defined asset health, we've defined our expectations, we have that compelling why for why we're going to pursue that goal. Now we've got to sell that importance of equipment reliability and asset care to the work team. And I'm a big proponent of total predictive maintenance and Productivity Press has a nice little booklet that you can use to learn the basics of TPM. And it's very much in line with what I talk about here in this podcast. You know, most people don't like to live with the headaches they experience on the job each day. Unfortunately, many believe this is what I have to work with. It's the kind of car I got, it breaks down but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, in other cases, your work team might even gain a sense of self-satisfaction when they put out equipment failure fires. Yeah, it broke, but look how quickly we got it going again. But what I've learned through experience is they gain a much higher level of pride when they put these fires out for good, when they don't have to deal with the headaches each day. And as you get these success stories, it helps show your teams how equipment reliability gains help take away their downtime and scrap rework, cleanup headaches, all the mess, customer complaints, issues, all that pain that comes with asset failure, with poor asset health. And if we can tie the headaches to asset care and equipment reliability, then we're in a better position to sell them on the need for an equipment reliability and asset care focus. And so the most important thing we can do is involve our work team members in our equipment reliability improvement efforts. Don't just make it an engineering thing or an engineering and maintenance thing. Avoid the temptation to let some other group in the company come in and do it for them. Let work team members know ahead of time how their daily job will change if they're successful. They may not be qualified tradespeople in terms of being able to work on the equipment with tools, but they know what it sounds like when it's working well. They know what it's sounded like lately. They know what things smell like. They know if things are running hot or not. 
They know indicators of potential failure. Maybe not in engineering terms, but they can help with the troubleshooting. They can help with the asset health improvement effort. Also, let them know how much their daily job is going to change if they're successful. Maybe they won't have to do more with less as often. Maybe they won't have to fight fires often. Maybe they can use their work team differently if they can minimize downtime. For So maybe we spend it on personal development. Maybe we spend more time with our customers learning what they're after. So what's going to take away the current pain? What's going to be great about the new, healthier set of assets that we're going to have? Now also... I have some customers that operate at $10,000 per minute operating costs. If you look at what's going through the pipes plus the operation of the equipment itself. I have others that don't have costs near that high. But they could still, with social media today, do something to damage the reputation with the customer and ruin their business. And so what we want to do is we want to keep people engaged. We want to keep that ownership going as we move forward with our equipment reliability and asset health improvement program. We want to have an effective reward system. And a reward system is in quotes, okay? It's not just handouts. We want an effective rewards or recognition system to recognize employee behaviors that support equipment reliability. And the key word there is behaviors. The least effective and most damaging form of rewards is a one-winner system. Which department had the lowest downtime? Which maintenance team had the fewest calls? Avoid the use of any recognition system such as employee of the month that recognize only one person at the expense of others. Different people work with different systems. We have a different mix of assets that we're responsible for. Our assets are at different states of health. There are different ages in their life. They're being pushed, so to speak, to varying degrees. Customers demand more from certain assets than others. So we want to put in place a reward system that recognizes anyone that meets or exceeds certain criteria. And typically, those are the key performance indicators at the process level. They cover each of the key performance areas and asset health would be in the mix. You know, we just don't want to reward someone for simply doing their daily job, but what are they doing to help drive down downtime, to help improve troubleshooting, to help reduce troubleshooting time, to get things started more quickly in the morning? The best form of reward system in any improvement effort is a well-designed profit share plan. You may not be able to do that, but such plans allow employees at all levels to obtain some additional amount of pay when site or organizational goals are met. And you can have relatively inexpensive plans that are tied to asset health. I prefer to tie it to overall site performance, have a nice short line of sight, monthly payouts are the best, and we have a balanced set of goals that cover safety, quality, people, cost, and then product or service growth, customer value achieved. And so we have a mix. And so equipment reliability, asset health improvements, those would be evident in downtime reductions, process output increases, lower equipment replacement needs, reduced maintenance and stores costs. But they would show somewhere within the site or the organization's balanced scorecard. And many of my customers are 5, 10, 15, 20 employees. 
And so they're not these Fortune 500 customers that I have in other cases. And so I like to keep it basic and look at what can we focus on within our team to improve the health of the assets we use within our team to help take away our daily headaches and be better to meet the needs of our customers. Now, there are forms of formal recognition beyond profit share. And normally people... 5% or fewer organizations will go to profit share, even though it does work the best. But we can give out gift certificates. We can give out meals. We can have celebrations. But to begin with, think about how much can we spend on formal recognition? What type of contributions do we want to recognize? Who's going to be eligible? And do we actually need to spend the money if we can effectively provide informal, daily, meaningful recognition? Think about that balance. Don't see us formal coming first. Think about informal first. That's that ability to sell folks on the need to practice good asset health efforts on a daily basis. What are our daily work habits related to asset health? Realize it in a work system. Individuals such as engineers are rarely successful on their own. And so if the engineers get in a budget and the team members that are providing them with key information to help troubleshoot and improve the process aren't, after a while that begins to send a negative message to other team members if that individual's recognized and they're not, or if that individual might be recognized to an inequitable degree. So start slow, ease into it, Focus on the informal first. Keep people engaged, but please let them know you appreciate their efforts to understand equipment operation, understand healthy operation zones versus unhealthy zones. You know, what are some almost more qualitative indicators of that? What are some great ways that to troubleshoot the equipment? What are some tricks that they have learned over the years that may not be documented anywhere? So that's the key stuff on the front end. Why are we doing this? How are we going to measure our success? How are we going to engage our folks? And then we want to start engaging our equipment suppliers. We want to have effective designs for reliability. And if you're in food operations, like I spent almost a decade of my job, you've got to look at easy easiness of cleaning in addition to easiness of maintenance. One of the best approaches is to use a regular supplier conference. And in that event, the organization can actually get together with the key suppliers, share performance of each in front of the others, recognize those that are doing well, review company expectations, current trends, best practices that have been put in place, but keep the suppliers involved with what you're doing within the organization to improve asset health and make sure they see that connection between what they do for you and how that drives your goals relative to equipment reliability and asset health. So at a minimum, some kind of regular meeting with suppliers. At a, most organizations may do something annually. Some may pull together key suppliers quarterly or more often than that, depending on the volume and type of work that they do. Now that we have much more of a virtual capability than we had in the past, it's much easier to get together with suppliers. The key thing is keep a history. Recognize your customers of each other. Keep a history of the assets you talk about. Keep a history of individual asset findings, individual asset improvements, individual asset performance. Don't aggregate it into departments and then hope you're going to figure it out later. 
doesn't work that way. Believe me, I've had to redo too many equipment histories in my life. The other things we can do is include key suppliers on concurrent engineering design teams. That's a second method to educate and engage them. They see the focus the team puts on maintaining asset health and optimizing equipment reliability as they request certain design features, as they look at certain operating parameters. And realize this can go with tablet apps, this can go with software, this isn't just hard assets like grinders or welding equipment or conveyor belts or pumps or motors. You know, there's all different types of equipment assets that knowledge workers use to get their jobs done and take care of their customers as well. Now, recognize that the supplier agreement for a given job, along with the supplier management system, affects supplier knowledge and performance. So, I hope that you've got something bigger there. I'll do a podcast on that later because there's so much value in understanding the basics of a good supplier management work system. The supplier agreement and the supplier management system play foundational roles that help make sure the suppliers keep their skills relative to reliability design up to date. Your processes also help suppliers incorporate such design factors into the products and services they provide. All too often, we simply negotiate with suppliers on price. And that's old school, that's vintage. We want to consider the more important factors of design soundness, design for reliability, and user experience slash friendliness as part of the agreement and the supplier evaluation system. So knit it all together. First of all, price is not the primary metric. Second of all, other key factors such as design soundness, design for reliability, and user experience, user friendliness also need to be considered, both when we set up agreements with suppliers, set up contracts, and when we evaluate supplier performance to expectations. Step five, we want to plan and schedule in a systematic manner to support equipment reliability improvement. So to do that, we need to be able to be good at risk assessment. We need to know likelihood of failure. We need to know severity of failure because if we don't understand risk, if we don't understand likelihood of failure, at least be able to predict it to some degree, it becomes hard to determine RPM schedules. How do we allocate time and money to the areas that need them the most? Instead, one or two high visibility projects are going to get all the focus at whatever time they occur at the expense of other projects that might actually provide more value, especially when you consider the impact it has on the customers. Many reliability processes fail simply because squeaky wheels get the grease. We don't ensure that we use data to drive our asset health investments to the areas that need them most. We often discount preventive maintenance activities. We don't ensure that every at least critical PM, if not all mid-level and critical PMs, are supported by well-designed checklists, ideally on tablets, so we can get date and timestamps as each step is completed with little effort having to be put in by the operator. 
But if we've got a reactive work culture in place, the goal is going to be to keep the squeaky wheel from squeaking. So for success, we've got to develop sound cost-benefit analyses for each potential improvement option, and we've got to know our asset health across multiple dimensions of healthiness. Number six, we want to effectively communicate equipment care responsibilities to all work team members. This is a key total predictive maintenance element. And so we've got job descriptions, we've got our compensation system, we've got our training personal development process, we've got our measurement system, what we measure personal performance on, process performance on, site performance on, department performance on. Okay, so that's the best, those are the formal ways we communicate equipment responsibilities to folks. So take a look at what you've got now in those areas and then look at where we need to improve to support the type of equipment reliability and asset health program you want to have going forward. So first of all, how does the job description need to change and how much time, at least from a percentage perspective, needs to be spent in the key types of work that are going to be done. We want to make sure our compensation system is in alignment, that we reward people for doing the right type of work, not the wrong type of work. For example, instead of rewarding people for low downtime percentages, reward them for effectively implemented equipment reliability asset health improvement projects. An effective personal development process is the primary way to address performance that falls below expectations and to communicate the expectations in the first place in a face-to-face manner. And then our measurement work system helps us measure how well we're doing. It also sends a strong message about relative task importance. I would say probably more importantly, it's that daily work team leader that plays the biggest role in communicating performance expectations, including those of a reliability nature. You know, work team leaders choose what to cover in the daily huddles. They determine how much emotion and time to devote to each agenda items or to events that occur during a given day. Supervisors and managers make daily decisions about issues they choose to recognize positively, which issues they choose to provide negative feedback on, whether that's formal, informal, facial expressions or yelling, or what they just don't pay attention to or what they ignore when someone brings it up to them. All those different types of daily behavior on the part of supervisors and managers send messages to work team members about what is important and what is not. So all organizations employ all of these approaches to some degree, but how effectively do we use them? So how effective are our job descriptions? How effectively does our measurement system communicate asset health expectations? How effective is the training we use to prepare people to support equipment reliability? So think about where you're at, where are our current gaps, What's the relative impact of our different options for improvement and where do we need to start? And to me, there's tremendous value to be gained in that final piece, which is building a sense of ownership with your craftspeople for the care of specific assets. I, I know 
I will never forget how Jim took care of the syrup line or how Greg took care of the sauce line. Those two gentlemen helped us double sales in three years because they practiced so much of what I talk about here in this article. And they did a great job along with the everyone else on those improvement teams because there was a sense of ownership in taking care of the equipment we had, the new equipment that leadership acquired for us, which also helped a ton. But they saw that how it took the daily headaches away. They took pride in the fact that they had minimal downtime in a day or minimal rework in a day or no lost product in a day. And to establish that kind of ownership, first of all, you have to define the expectation of process ownership. Either we all own this process or you folks own this process and empower people to take initiative to improve the processes. They should know what improvements are needed, They should communicate those to you. They should be prioritized. They should be linked to the strategic objectives of the organization. And they should know the status and they should be able to bug you and get your help if improvements aren't being made quickly enough. Now, that's how it works in a self-directed work environment. But before we can do that, we've got to increase ownership levels. And one of the best ways to do that is make sure maintenance folks know what the assets they own and then give them regular feedback, ideally daily feedback on asset performance. And with today's technology, a lot of maintenance work teams can check on asset health for their assets at any point in time. The other thing we can do is use an effective resource allocation process to make sure that time and money resources exist to help these folks succeed when it comes to maintaining asset health. And so our asset health data is going to help us with strategic planning, with capital equipment planning. It's not going to be just asking people, which equipment do you need to replace? They're going to be able to do much better than just give you downtime percentages. Here's what we've done. Here's what's been successful. Here's where it looks like we're going to just have to get something new. In so many cases, improved work practices, improved support from other groups within the value stream can significantly reduce equipment downtime and equipment failures while also improving asset health. The most classic example in my world is where sanitation and maintenance and production all support each other. And if they don't support each other, they will actually destroy each other's numbers. You know, all three of them will have performance measures that suffer if they don't support each other. It's management's role to make sure that our work systems help minimize human error and help minimize equipment problems outside the control of people. So we don't want to set people up by making, let's say, an assets control panel confusing. Or if we have a control screen that we're watching, making it difficult to spot significant problems from just casual alarms. We get better with, you know, planning our triggers, looking at the types of notifications that we issue when a trigger does occur. And finally, think about the culture of where you're at as an organization now and where you want to be. And I like to deal with this as sites. 
not as departments, but as sites, because we all come into the building, we all work together, and then we all leave. Now, some of us may bounce between buildings or bounce between locations, but it's often that geographic group that creates a culture. And so what are our belief systems within this building on this site? What's our belief systems as a management team relative to asset health, relative to measuring asset health and equipment reliability? Do you believe that people come to work with a desire to do a good job? Do they want to take care of the equipment? Do they want to cut corners any chance they can? Do you have a culture of blaming people? Do your people blame each other? Listen to the conversations. But how often do we blame people instead of a faulty tool or a lack of knowledge or a bad part or the failure to detect a challenge or the failure to make a decision to replace equipment when we should have replaced it a year or two ago? Is it our tendency to search for those systemic factors that by design could encourage higher levels of human errors? You know, do we know how to design control panels to keep them from being confusing? Do we know how to create effective but easy to use preventive maintenance checklists? Do you believe that equipment failures are simply a fact of life? That's another key challenge. Stuff's going to break. It's my job to fix it. That is not the type of perspective we want to have if we want to optimize asset health. How often does the management team attempt to identify and remedy those systemically induced human errors that lead to a higher frequency and severity of equipment problems? Shortcuts on preventive maintenance operations when we do actually go out and do the PM, skipping PMs, delaying PMs, using parts that are like the main OEM parts, but not quite, but close enough. But people are much more reluctant to take ownership if they perceive they're being left out without any support, when they feel like they're not being heard. And, and believe me, process owners, people that live with the equipment, they know where the equipment's at. So that's where I always like to start when I'm assessing equipment reliability is, how well do you know your assets? Show me your asset health histories. Show me your asset health metric trends. Show me your plans for asset health improvement. And I don't expect it for every piece of equipment on the books any more than I expect it for every human asset, even though I probably expect it for every human asset more than every piece of equipment on the books. But for your critical equipment, the equipment that can shut you down, cause you to lose customers, bankrupt you, even your near critical equipment, you should know these types of things I've shared here in this podcast. Quite happy to share more with you. You can email me at kevin at greatsystems.com. I try to get a real life work podcast out about every week. I am also posting some very basic training type videos on the Great Systems YouTube channel. You might want to swing by and check those out. I've got about a hundred of those posted now that focus on the topics of basic lean tool use, pursuing process excellence, and facilitating and leading work teams. So that all those three of those things are at the basic level, but they tie into the types of concepts I've talked about here because it's all about 
making high-performance work practices daily work habits. And that's what we want to do when it comes to maintaining asset health and optimizing equipment reliability. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I'm always open to your thoughts, suggestions, and questions. So shoot them my way if you've got them. And most importantly, keep improving.